Oh, hallelujah. Can we worship the Lord? Can we lift him up? Hallelujah, Jesus. We magnify you in this place tonight, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Blessed be your name. You are worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. It's always great to get together to worship the Lord. Amen. As the body of Christ. Amen. As the song says, we, are, we need to give him our all. Amen. If we give him everything, then that means God has to take care of everything, right? Doesn't he say, cast your cares upon him? Amen. It means give him everything and let him handle it out. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things God will work out. Amen. So I want to give him my all, give him my all my heart. Amen. All that I, all my problems. Amen. Those are the first thing that we should give God, right? Take him to God in prayer. Amen. Let God begin to work it out. Amen. We believe in the power of prayer. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to come together on a Thursday night. Amen. A great place to be. To uh, disconnect from the world and plug into the kingdom of God and uh, worship God and to feel his presence here tonight. Amen. As we make a few announcements, our, the kids' church can be dismissed. Amen. Uh, this coming, uh, this Saturday, we've got our men's and ladies' meetings here at 1030. Amen. So looking forward to that. Ladies, please bring a dish. Uh, guys, bring uh, a bow if you have one or arrows or if not, bring an apple. We'll, we'll make a use of it all. Amen. 1030. Amen. Looking forward to that on Saturday. Amen. As we are staying, we can go to the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. We're continuing our series about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're praying for his kingdom to come. Amen. Amen. Turn to a few people, wave at them, shake their hands, and welcome them, and you may be seated tonight. Amen. We've been uh, following the, the kingdom of heaven, uh, referenced in scripture, kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom, and we've been uh, looking at its manifestation here on earth and what all that means and what it entails, and we caught a, a glimpse of it being established in the Garden of Eden, what it's like, what the world is like in this the kingdom of heaven where everything is at peace and even the animals aren't at uh, each other's throats and running from each other. Adam the one in charge of the kingdom that God is establishing on the earth, Adam could not follow the rules of the kingdom. So uh, he got banished from the kingdom and the kingdom left the earth. But before leaving, there was a promise given that there will come from the seed of the woman somebody that will come and, and crush the serpent's head and who will help bring in the kingdom of heaven, bring it back to the earth because that was... God's original intention with uh, the creation of this world. And then we saw uh, God speak to a man named Abram, 
who he told to come out from his father's house to, to leave uh, the world that was corrupted by the Tower of Babel and its false uh, religion. And God called him out to a place where he would uh, allow God to build a, a kingdom that is not based on the rules and the laws of this world because, again, it was all corrupted with the one language Babel at Babel. Uh, but uh, uh, Abram was allowing God to establish something new, start up a new kingdom, a, a new city, uh, a kingdom that God himself would establish and set up, a, a city whose foundations and whose builder and maker is God. That's what God was doing with Abram as he had to because the whole world was uh, corrupted with false uh, worship. And in, in setting up this kingdom... We saw that God made an unconditional covenant with Abram. How God alone in Genesis uh, 15, 17, God alone passed through those animal sacrifices, meaning that he alone uh, is responsible for the promises that he gave. And one of the promises that he gave to Abram, uh, the land, uh, he promised him with a seed uh, and a blessing, promised to bless him. And so those three things, land, seed, and blessing, are unconditional. There's nothing that anybody can do to stop them. They are going to happen no matter what. Why? Because God said it, and God uh, sealed the covenant there in Genesis 15. And so then last week, we started, uh, we saw further building and establishing of this kingdom, this coming kingdom of heaven with the nation of Israel as they came out, as God delivered them out, a whole nation out of Egypt. And he met them at Mount Sinai and with Moses, his servant, and introduced what we called as the Mosaic Covenant. And we looked into that, uh, how, it, how it mirrored a, what was known as a suzerain vassal treaty. And we found that... Uh, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, how the whole book is, is structured as that, that treaty, that covenant between God and Israel. And the Mosaic Covenant, unlike the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant is conditional, meaning they have, Israel has to do these things in order for God to do these things. Remember, at the Abrahamic Covenant, God, it, Abram didn't have to do anything. God just says, here you go, here's the land. The Mosaic Covenant is conditional. Israel has to do certain things in order to receive these blessings and promises in return. And, and one of the blessings would be ushering in the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that he has planned for this earth. But in order to have a kingdom, there must be a king. And as we finished last week's lesson, seeing that one of the conditions that, that the nation of Israel had to do was to set a king over them. Not, not a king that they desired, but a king that God chose. They had to say, we want you to be our king. And as long as that, that person, that man, was the, the king that God had chosen, then they would be in line with what uh, God's will was. And so thus begins the, the age of the kings in the land of Israel. And the, the first king that we saw that was chosen was a man named Saul. As the Bible describes him, he was head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, and so Saul was a, a good guy, a humble guy in the beginning. 
uh, when they tried to to get him to come to to be king. I mean, he was hiding out. I mean, he was he was a a, a shy guy and 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 a humble guy, but. Uh, not so much after he sits down on the throne, he kind of changes. It's amazing to see how power can corrupt somebody or anybody. Um, and so we saw Saul, we saw Saul get corrupted uh, with power. And what do we eventually see? We see the Spirit of God leaving Saul and uh, an evil spirit being sent to torment him. And, and, and Saul doesn't even realize that the Spirit of God had left him. That's how, that's how far off Saul was. That's how backslid Saul was. Didn't even realize it. And, and we know the story how, how God tells uh, Samuel to go anoint uh, this, this shepherd boy named David, anoint him to be the next king of Israel. And, uh, and so here, while Saul is still king, there's already been the next king that is chosen by God, uh, anointed uh, to take over uh, the throne once Saul uh, exits the throne. And, and we see this happen. Uh, Saul and his son Jonathan, the heir to the throne, both die in battle on the same day. And so, who is to assume the throne? Now that Saul is dead, Jonathan's dead, uh, and David is the one who was anointed by God to be the next king, and so now there's a vacancy in the throne, and so uh, we understand and we read the story and we know that, okay, it's David, your turn to go up there and to be the king because obviously we know you are anointed to be king, but it's not us. It's not you and I who are picking the king for Israel. Israel has to set over them the king that God chooses. And in order to keep that the Mosaic Covenant and stay in line with the Mosaic Covenant as found in Deuteronomy, uh, they had to set David as king over them because that's the one God chose. But, uh, but that doesn't always happen right away. It didn't happen right away as we see in 2 Samuel. Uh, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishshobeth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manaheim, and, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Azurites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishphobeth, son's, uh, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And so, and so now here we are. There are two kings in Israel. We got uh, Saul's other son, Ishshobeth, Ish who was king over all of Israel. And now David has been uh, elected or anointed as king, and he's ruling as king in Judah. Judah says, we're not, we're not going with him. We're sticking with David. Uh, and so David was the chosen king in, in Judah, but the other tribes were following a king of their choosing, Ishshobeth. And so that is uh, the special thing that God did here on the earth, is that he gave mankind the freedom to make their own choices. I mean, we, we saw in the, in the first lesson how uh, in the kingdom of God where the king speaks, everything happens. And, and obviously God rules over everything and he speaks and light and, and the earth appears. He speaks, the sun appears. But here on earth, he speaks and man ignores him. 
This is a, a unique place here on earth where uh, the king of kings and the lord of lords can speak something to a man and he can just ignore him. That's what God has given mankind down here. And you can see what a mess we've gotten ourselves in because we ignore the king. And, and so we can choose our way or we can choose God's way. That's really what it comes down to. My way or the king's way. And, and one way leads to promises and blessings and the other, well, not so much. And so here in the infancy of the nation of Israel, they are having difficulties choosing their second king. I mean, this, king, this kingship just, just got off the ground. Uh, their second king, and they're having trouble uh, with it because there's two kings now. Uh, David knows that he was anointed by the prophet Samuel, and, and David knows that he is to be the only king. But... What do you do when the nation uh, elects uh, somebody else? With David's reputation as a, a, the mighty warrior, I mean the, the warrior of Israel, uh, he could have easily let his army of mighty men march down towards the throne and, and took the throne, no problem. I mean, there would have been resistance, but I, I'm sure uh, David and his mighty men would have taken care of that. Uh, but so uh, David, I know, could have marched in there and taken the throne by force, but that wouldn't really have worked because Israel would not have freely picked him, would they? He would just take it over like a like a tyrant or a or a, a, a evil military commander or something, as we see in, in many nations today, where somebody rises to power and they just take over. Uh, David could have done that. But that doesn't mean Israel chose him. And again, in order to uh, be in line with the Mosaic Covenant, Israel has to choose and set over them a king. That means they have to uh, declare them uh, the king. And so what did David do? David waited patiently on the Lord. He didn't go out and he tried to fix it for God. He didn't see, I'm sure he saw a way to the throne over all Israel, but he didn't run out and go after it. He didn't go and do it his way. No, uh, David waited for God to work things out. But sometimes we can get a little impatient, can't we? Uh, we can get a little impatient with God's plans, and, and even when we know what they are, but we haven't seen them come to pass yet, we can, sometimes we can go out and, and we can give God a helping hand. Here, God, let me help, help me out here a bit. Uh, give God's, uh, God's plans a, a little nudge. Uh, to get them to go a little jump start. And, and even though we have good intentions, we can still mess things up, can't we? God's timing is perfect. Ours is not. So why do we rush out to do it on our timing? You think of one of these days we'd figure that out, that our timing is not perfect. And God's is. And so why do we insist on getting things done based on imperfect time? I'm not sure. Uh, and so when it's, when it's on God's time, it just all happens out, doesn't it? It just happens uh, perfectly. It all works out according to the king's plans because it's his, it's his kingdom, it's his plan, it's his will that needs to be done. As long as we submit and surrender to his plans, yeah, there's times we may have to wait, but uh, God knows what he's doing. He does all things well. And so it, it does us a little good to get a little, uh, to wait patiently on the Lord so that we don't mess things up because I want things to go according to his plan and not my plan 
Because he sees a whole lot more stuff than I see. He knows a whole lot more things than I know. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than mine. And so uh, if we can just learn to wait on the Lord, amen, we can see his will to be done. And so David, David knew this as well. He wasn't going to rush to the throne. Uh, he waited for God, and what happened? I mean, uh, Ishbosheth was he was assassinated. I mean, you know, we don't wish that on anybody, but that's what happened. David was, he didn't have any part of it. He was just sitting there waiting on God, and God, I know you anointed me as king over Israel, uh, so I'm just waiting. I'm not going to force my way in. I'm not going to do it. I'm just waiting on you. And, and lo and behold, uh, Ishbosheth gets assassinated. And then Israel don't, no longer has the two-king problem because there's only one king alive. Uh, and so they, they willfully, they choose uh, and, and set David uh, to be their king. Now obviously, this is the king that God has chosen, so they're lining up. Things are looking good. I mean, they're following whether they realize it or not. Uh, they're following uh, the Mosaic Covenant and choosing the king over them that God has set. And it is said that uh, David was a man after God's own heart. And so he was the king that God had chosen. And so what, uh, what happened to Israel when David was their king? Well, the time that David was king over Israel, they prospered like no other time. They, they conquered lands, they, 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 were, they were undefeated in battle, they were always winning, they, they defeated their enemies, their land was blessed, everything was going smooth and going forward, going in the right direction, why? Uh, because they were following the covenant that they had established at Mount Sinai, and they're following their king, who, who also followed the covenant as well, as, as we see all the scriptures that David wrote, the Psalms and all these things, he he, he loved the Word of God, and he adhered to the Word of God, and he obeyed uh, Deuteronomy 17 when it talks about this is the things that the king should do and not do. I mean, he, he, he did that. And so uh, when the nation is following God's laws and the leaders and the king is following God's law, it's, it's going to be great times. It's going to be times of blessing, times of abundance, because God's hands is there. They're, they're submitted to the will and the uh, will of God, and they're following what they should be doing. And God says, God can't do nothing but bless the people because they're in line with God and his covenant. When a nation and its leaders fear the Lord and obey his commandments, the nation will be blessed and it will prosper like no other time. But when a nation and its leaders forsake the laws of God, then you know what happens. Let me ask you, do we as a nation of people fear the Lord and follow his statutes? Do our leaders fear the Lord and do they follow in the paths of righteousness? Then I, I don't think that I have to tell you what, what future a nation like that has uh, because we witness this time and time again in the nation of Israel. We can see when they followed the laws of God, commandments of God, things were good. And when they ignored the law and, and disregarded God's commandments, things didn't go so, so well for them. And so uh, all you got to do is to look around uh, today in the world today, who's following the law of God and who's not. And I can tell you who's going to be blessed and who's not going to be blessed. And so I don't know about 
you, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to follow the kingdom's law. I'm going to follow the word of God. Whether the, the leaders do or not, i got to make sure me and my house that we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow uh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords and uphold his righteous ways in our life because we're all going to be judged by the same book. Nations and leaders, and doesn't matter who you are, uh, doesn't matter how much power you have, we're all judged by the same book. Amen. And so we want to uphold and adhere to the law of God. And so, um, so the nation of Israel and their king, David, they were all aligned. They're doing things well with the Mosaic Covenant. And, and what happened because of that is another promise from God is, is interjected here. At this time in the nation's uh, history, we see in 1 Kings 2, it says, Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house, upon his throne, shall there be peace forever from the Lord. 1 Kings, go uh, skipping down to verse 45, and, and King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. That's what happens when things are aligned and things are working. The nation is, is living good. The king is a good king following God's laws. Uh, and so what happens here is now all of a sudden, because the king was obedient to the Mosaic law, God said that the throne of David will forever be established. Now, if God says forever, then he must mean forever because he's the only one who really knows what that means. And for the word of God to say that, it must mean that. But how, how can that be? If the kingdom of heaven is supposed to come to this earth, but now we have a promise from God that the throne of David is going to be established forever. Either the throne of David and the kingdom of heaven are going to merge at some point in history and some point in time, and they're going to come together and work together, or God just got himself in a pickle by saying that David's throne ain't going anywhere, but yet the kingdom of heaven's still coming to earth. And how is this going to work? The only way for it to work together is if the future king of God's choosing that Israel needs to set over them, the only way it can work is if uh, the future king comes from the lineage of David. Then heaven's chosen king will rightfully be able to come and to sit upon this now forever established throne of David because only a descendant of David will be able to sit upon that throne that has now been established forever. And, and so Solomon, uh, we see, is the next king. He, like Saul, did well in the early years, but he drifted off in the latter years of his life. And as we read last week in Deuteronomy 17, the covenant conditions that strictly apply to the kings that they, they must follow, that they must do. Uh, you know, we read them. They got to rewrite the law for themselves and, and not multiply wives and, and make themselves uh, rich and all these things. Uh, those strictly apply to the kings of, the, of Israel. 
we can see, we can line up Deuteronomy 17 with Solomon's life, the wisest man on the world. And he missed, he missed the chap. He slept in on that day. He, 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 he must have not rewritten that, that law, uh, that section in Deuteronomy 17 where uh, it applies to all those things. And, and so uh, what happens when the king's laws are disobeyed? Problems arise. Uh, and so what happened to the kingdom of Israel after Solomon passed? The kingdom split. It was divided. you got a northern kingdom, and now you've got a southern kingdom. Ten tribes in the northern kingdom went to Jeroboam, uh, and the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, went to Rehoboam. And so now Israel, this once nation, newly young formed nation, just lost its third king, and now all of a sudden they're split. There's a civil war between them, and they're split. And we know that Israel remained divided throughout the whole age of the kings. They never got back together. They remained divided. But how, how can Israel have two kings? How can they have two kings? They can... But the Mosaic Covenant says only says one king. And so uh, where is the throne that is now forever established? It's in Judah. Jerusalem, the throne of David. And so if Israel wanted to unite, if the two kingdoms wanted to come together, then I think it would be best to let the king of Judah be the king over all of Israel because that's where the, the, the throne is now established. It's in, it's in Judah. It's in Jerusalem. David's throne ain't going anywhere as per God, as what God said. And, and so as, as long as Israel is divided, and they were the, the rest of their history, as long as they have two kings, they cannot fulfill and keep the Mosaic Covenant. They're, they're void of breach of contract, right? Because it just says a king. It says one king. And as long as they remain divided, they're, they're breaking the contract, the, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant they have with God. And we know in Deuteronomy 28, the, the second half of chapter 28, what happens when you don't obey the covenants, uh, things, not good things come. And so as, uh, they obviously didn't realize this because they wouldn't have remained divided. Uh, because they said, hey, we, there's, God only gave us one king in the, in the covenant. And so, remember, what does the Mosaic covenant do? It doesn't make them the owner of the land. That's what the Abrahamic covenant does. You guys, this is your land forever. You're the owners of this land. But the Mosaic covenant determines whether or not Israel is going to live there. As I said last week, you can, you can own a house but not live in it. You can be the owner but not the possessor. And so the Abrahamic covenant gave them the land forever. They'll never get that land no matter what they try to do. Uh, the Mosaic covenant determines whether or not this nation, this people, is going to actually live in the land. And so the, the divided kingdom, two kings. Israel, if you don't straighten yourself out, God will file a lawsuit against you, as we read last week, for breach of contract. And in that covenant, it says you're not going to be living in the land anymore because you're not upholding my end of, uh, your end of the deal. The land will always be yours, but you won't be here to enjoy it because you have failed to uphold the Mosaic covenant. And so you know the story. Uh, God sends prophets to warn Israel 
to get them to repent, to get them to turn from their ways, stop serving the false uh, idols and pagan gods, turn from their disobedient ways. And, and what does Israel do? Israel ignores them. Israel ignores them and even kills them off. All that they're trying to do was to get them to look back at that covenant that God made with this nation. Look back, go back to that old document and look that was established long ago and, and read, just read it, just read it one time and you'll be able to tell where you're headed, what direction you're on, what path you're walking down. If you just read the law of God and the scriptures, you'll find out uh, what is getting ready to happen to you, Israel. Because God knows the path that Israel's headed down. But while they were still around, he uses the prophets to, to still interject some more messages of hope and declare more promises and prophecies because even though things are doom and gloom and they're, they're not living right, they're in rebellion, God still uses his people, his preachers, his prophets to, to declare messages of hope and salvation and repentance and, hey, what's coming if you don't do this and and, and you need to look your eyes to this. And so uh, he uses the prophets to do this, and one of the prophets he used was uh, a man named Isaiah. And, and we see this uh, this message that Isaiah delivers to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That sounds like a king to me. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, shall there shall be no end. That means it's going to be everlasting. Everlasting uh, increase in power and peace. There's no end. Upon the throne of David. Remember, God established David's throne ain't going anywhere. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so God's sending a message to Israel and saying, hey, there's, so, there's still somebody coming that's gonna, that can fix all of this. Uh, the, that uh, he is the, the, a son, a child is going to be born, and the government's going to be upon his shoulder. But you, Israel, you need to do the right thing, and you need to make him your king, and everything's going to be good. And we see uh, even more... Isaiah goes on in chapter 11, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the, the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. That sounds like somebody that heaven is, is endorsing. That, that sounds like somebody that uh, God is saying, this guy needs to be the king. The perfect candidate right there to usher in the, the coming kingdom of heaven to this earth. In fact, as we continue on, look what happens 
when this person in Isaiah 11, uh, the seed, uh, the, the rod out of the stem of Jesse, the branch, look what happens when this guy is in, is in charge. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion fattling together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the, in the cobra's nest. Uh, they, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the fear uh, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. And in that day shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. That, to me, sounds like the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like maybe what it's like in, in the Garden of Eden when everything was peaceful and, and calm because that's where the kingdom of heaven first touched down on the earth. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done because we don't see that right now on this earth. where We don't see those things where the lion and, the, and shall eat straw like an ox. We don't see it where the children put their hands in a cobra's nest and, and nothing happens. Those things do not happen. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven hasn't come. And those things can only happen where there's peace that passes all understanding. Those things can only happen where the power of God rests and he has full reign and control over this world and in the, in the kingdom of heaven. And so thy kingdom come, God. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for, and that's what we want to see, and that's what is promised to come. And so the prophet Isaiah tells Israel all of this. He tells them that a child is coming, and in Israel, if, if you make him your king, you will see these things come to pass. You will see the, the bear and the cow come together and their young ones lying down together. You will see that. Why? Because you have chosen the right king over you that God has chosen, and that will usher in the kingdom of heaven to this world. And as incredible news as that is, do you think Israel listened? Do you think that they even were paying attention? I know we can easily read Israel's history and we can easily point fingers at Israel and say, you guys messed up there, you should have done that, you shouldn't have done that. But it, uh, we need to be careful of that because uh, we need to look in the mirror at our own life. There's plenty of mistakes that we don't, we don't do even though we know all of these things. And so how much more are we held to account uh, when we know all of this Amen. And so uh, we just need to uh, pay attention to the person in the mirror and focus on that, getting that person closer to Jesus. Amen. And so, and so not too long after do we see the end of the age of kings. Really, it becomes the end of the nation um, of Israel. All the way up to the end, Israel remained divided with two kings, meaning... They still, they were not in the covenant. They were living outside of the covenant because they had two kings. They're divided. And so the prophet Ezekiel, another man God raised up in this uh, perilous times to send warnings to Israel. Hey, you guys need to get back. Get back to the covenant. Get back to the law. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel is privileged to witness and record the moment that God's hand is lifted off the nation of Israel. 
And once that happens, all that can be left is dismay and destruction, heartache and turmoil. Once God's hand comes off something, it's a, it's a free-for-all for the enemy. Ezekiel chapter 10, then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub. Where's the cherubs? Over on the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God would come down and rest between the angels. So the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, the tabernacle there. And the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. It, it moved, out of the, moved out of the ark, moved out of the, the Holy of Holies to the door, and then it moved up above the, above the house, the tabernacle, the temple. Verse 19, and the, and the cherubs, cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And, and when they were out... The wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And then, so it's the glory of God's leaving the, the temple where, where it was rested in, in the ark, in the, the Holy of Holies. It's leaving that place and going to the, to the east gate, as it says ready to depart. And we see in chapter 11, verse 23, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. And so now the glory of God is now out of the, ta- out of the, the temple. And it's, it's left through the east gate. Now it's up on the mountain, uh, pulled out of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the glory of God, as we saw, didn't immediately rush out and leave Jerusalem. Ezekiel is watching it. It is slowly, incrementally, it is slowly moving from place to place. Little by little, moving out and away from the temple of where it resided. It's kind of like God is saying, I'm on my way out, but I don't want to leave. I'm on my way out, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of dragging my feet here, taking little steps here, just in case I hear a crying out. Just in case I, I see tears of, of repentance, because if I see a, a turning in your hearts, even at this very moment before I leave, that, that I will come back to you. I will rush back to you and, and forgive you of your sins. I will, my glory will stay here. Why? Because the, there was a turning in your heart and you came back to me. Because we're never too far from his mercy. We're never too far. We're never out of reach of God's grace. All it takes is for a turning in our hearts. All it takes is for somebody to come to an altar of repentance and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all the things that I've done. That's all it takes to get God's attention, and he'll come rushing to you, and he'll wrap you in his arms of grace and mercy, and he'll be there for you. That's all it takes. And so I think that God, the glory of God there was kind of dragging his feet because it says, 
Uh, if my people, which are called by my name, that was specifically Israel, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. All it takes is repentance and the glory of God is going to be right there. All it takes, the Bible says, is for one sinner to cry out for forgiveness. And what happens? All of heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. All God was waiting for was Israel to repent, to turn back to him and remember that Mosaic covenant and his glory would have stayed there. But sadly, sadly Israel did not, and we saw the glory of God depart from the temple and eventually from the city. And once the Spirit of God leaves, who is there to keep the enemy from storming the gates? Once God goes, where's, where else do you go? Musicians, if you would come. But thankfully, thankfully, Ezekiel's vision doesn't end with hopelessness. But just as he saw the glory of God depart... He also writes them and says, hey, I see it coming back. I see the glory of God coming back and returning to Jerusalem and returning to the temple at, at some future point in time. It does come back. And, 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 and do you remember how the glory of God departed, which, which direction it departed from and which gate that it departed out of? Because the way that the glory of God left is the same way that the glory of God returns, as we're, we're told. I mean, we don't know that except for because of Ezekiel tells us that. Ezekiel 43, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Verse 4, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. God's glory left through the east gate, and when it comes back, he's coming right back through that same gate. And so we know to look in what direction. We know to look towards the east because that's the way uh, that he says he's coming back. For the sign of the king's coming is going to be found in the east. And, and after the glory of God departed, history tells us that a foreign king, came in and conquered the land of Israel, dismantled and destroyed Jerusalem, taken captives back to Babylon, temple of God, temple of God that was overlaid with gold and just magnificent. That was all torn down and melted and, and uh, taken down. And uh, the nation of Israel basically just disappeared. Another king, Nebuchadnezzar, came in and, and took over, wiped them out. Wiped off the map all because of this thing called a suzerain vassal treaty, the Mosaic Covenant that God made with them. You guys follow these things and everything is going to be fine. If you don't, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's right here in the covenant. Uh, and so they didn't follow the Mosaic Covenant, and so therefore they can't, they can't stay in the land. They're still owners of it, but they can't be there because they're not being good tenants. And so God says, 
you're out. Follow the Mosaic Covenant. That's your tenant contract. Uh, and be, be a good tenant and you can stay. And so by the grace of God, God allows a remnant to return 70 years later. Uh, they rebuild the walls. They rebuild the temple. But, but things are really just never the same. Ever since the glory of God departed, uh, they, they're never really the same. Uh, so if you stand with me tonight. And so thus begins what is known as the intertestamental period. That space between, in your Bible, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know, either, I know you know that divider there. And so the, the space between the Old Testament and New Testament is called the 400 years of silence. Silence because there were no prophets. There were no preachers declaring the word. There was no one saying, thus saith the Lord. 400 years of silence. But then out of nowhere, silence is broken. Wise men show up in Jerusalem and said, where is the king of the Jews? Where is this king? We have seen his star the east they were, somebody was looking Israel wasn't looking somebody else was looking Israel not paying attention as usual wasn't watching the eastern sky where they should have been because that's the where the glory of God was coming back and then and then some years pass silence is broken again with a man that is anointed by the glory of God who stands up and he declares, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the, this kingdom that we've been talking about, this kingdom that we've been tracing since the beginning of time where it touched down in the Garden of Eden and then was taken back up because of disobedience and sin. Now all of a sudden the silence is broken and we hear a preacher saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is in reach. You could almost reach out and grab it. It's not here yet, but the kingdom of heaven is on its way. It's so close. You need to repent because it is almost here. You had better repent. And so what was preached over 2,000 years ago is still what is being preached today. Repent because the king is coming. Repent uh, of your sins. Ask God to forgive you of your sins because the kingdom of heaven is drawing nigh. The kingdom is coming back to this earth. And, and if you want to see the kingdom, guess what? You got to be born again, as Jesus said. You need to be born of the water and of the spirit. Or you're not going to see the kingdom because we know it's coming. Jesus is the king. He knows how to get into his own kingdom, doesn't he? Jesus said you need to be born again. You need to repent of your sins just like they were Israel was told to repent. The kingdom of heaven is nigh. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Born of the water. The only way anybody was baptized in the Bible 
And so if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, that's not a name. Those aren't names. The apostles didn't baptize anybody like that. They baptized in the name of Jesus. And so if Jesus says you need to be baptized, you need to make sure you're baptized the right way. And that is calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only being born of the water, Jesus says you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to receive the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. Because if we have not the Spirit of Him, we are none of His. And so we need the Spirit of God in our lives. Man, and how do you know you've received the Holy Ghost? Well, it's an undeniable experience. Because the glory of God just shows up in your life and you just, the Bible says you just start speaking in tongues. You, you can't control yourself. The, the power of God is in your life. The, the glory of God has come down. Why? Because you repented of your sins and all of heaven is rejoicing. There's a turning. There's a sinner coming back to the, to the word of God. And, and so today, as 2,000 years later, we're still preaching repentance. We need to repent of our sins. We need to stick to the word of God. We need to, to live righteously and holy because the king is coming. Come on, as we close tonight, as we begin to sing, why don't we just magnify him? Why don't we just lift up the King of kings and of Lord of lords? He is in this place tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. There is only one name. There's only one name, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There is only We're going to exalt you, Jesus. With Hallelujah. With the power to save. Hallelujah. With the power to save. Hallelujah. The kingdom is coming. Lord, we love you tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's only one name. Hallelujah. There's nothing that only hell can do. There is only one Hallelujah. name. God's will will be done. the power to save. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. With earth, the power to as it is in heaven. Lord, we want your will. We want your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And our God is champion. He reigns Oh, let's worship forevermore. Let's magnify him. Hallelujah. Yes, forevermore.
exalt the King of Kings. Let's lift him up one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven.